Colossians 3 and verse 22, I'll read, but we're going to be looking at, at the verses that follow after that. Colossians 3, 22 through the end of the chapter, even verse 1 of chapter 4 has direction or comments upon the relationship between masters and slaves. First, of course, slaves and then masters. Just one verse on masters. But he's already talked about the other members of a household, a first century Roman household, the wives and husbands and certainly children and parents and specifically fathers he mentioned earlier in this passage. But he's giving us the implication of the gospel on just real practical life. What does it look like to be a godly man, a godly woman in a very dark and disturbing age, an age where there is all manner of wickedness and evil and, and strife and, and conflict one with another? What is the gospel? What kind of difference does the gospel make in a person's life? And so we've seen it in relation to those, what we would typically consider household relationships, you know, parents and children, husbands, wives, and so forth. But in that first century Roman world, there were slaves who were part of a lot of Roman households. And those slaves we looked at last time came from various sources, warfare, indebtedness, um, different, different situations, and at that particular time in Roman history, anyway, probably 20% of the population of Rome itself were slaves, you know, enslaved to a master, uh, even treated as property that can be bought and sold, traded, or disposed of according to the master's uh, will, which is why Paul talks to the masters specifically here in a moment. I mentioned last time, too, that probably... If you look at the, these verses, beginning at verse 18 and through chapter 4, verse 1, that he spends most of his comments on this identity or this group called slaves. I don't know, four verses or so on the slaves, whereas he gave a verse uh, each, basically, to, um, to the other relationships there. I think he focuses on that because he's dealing with an issue of a man who came from Colossae, the city of Colossae, and fled. He was a slave, and he fled from his master Philemon. Philemon, there's a book after his name, and Onesimus was that man who escaped from his master and fled somehow to and found um, Paul in Rome. And not just found Paul, but found Christ, or Christ found him, and is saved. And now, of course, Paul wrote that letter to Philemon saying, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. And not just as a slave, but as a brother, because he came to Christ in the course of that, that conversation. So I think Paul is, is speaking in this letter to the Colossian church in general, what he's already spoken to Onesimus privately. Hey, when you go back to your master Philemon, this is, this is how you ought to do things. This is how a Christian slave can behave. Unless we think, oh, but slavery is so evil and wicked. Well, yes, and it's evidence of a fallen and cursed world. It's evidence of, uh, uh, again, war and conflict and enslavement uh, that results from that captivity. It results from indebtedness and poverty. It results from a lot of different situations. It is a way that that God provided for people in both, uh, on both sides of the situation uh, to get um, care, to get provision, and so forth. Uh, it is interesting that chattel slavery, as we could call it, property that's treating slaves as property, it's not an American idea. This has been around for centuries, millennia, for even from the beginning of creation, perhaps, where people have had a mastery or 
power over other people, unless we think, well, I am a free person. Well, consider how free you are uh, in your employment, in your housing situation, what you can do and can't do in your house, uh, whether it's subdivision or zoning laws or whatever. I'm not saying we're all slaves. I'm just saying we all are under uh, other people's authority to some degree, and we're, un we're other people under our authority. We have that kind of uh, uh, position to be in. Well, how ought we to Consider, consider ourselves, how are we to conceive of ourselves in relation to those, whether they're believing or unbelieving, how ought we to conduct ourselves? All that to say, let's read this passage, or I'll read it for us, beginning at verse 22 and through uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but with integrity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Serve the Lord Christ, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he's done, and that without partiality. Masters, show to your slaves what is right and fair, knowing that you too have a master in heaven." We looked at that earlier verse, uh, chapter, uh, or verse 22, and we see in these verses three commands. Three commands in these, in these verses. We see the first command we looked at last week, and that is to obey. To obey your earthly master. By the way, anywhere you read in these verses the word master or lord, it's the same word in Greek, but he differentiates. Remember, he says, your earthly masters or your masters according to the flesh, you obey them, but you obey as to the Lord, not just your earthly master, but the Lord Jesus, the, the heavenly master. The first command we looked at last week, but there are two other commands here in these verses. The second, of course, is to work, to work, to labor, and then, of course, finally, to serve. Each of these commands he attends or brings with or presents in a way that qualifies. What does it look like then? How ought we to obey? Verse 22, he said there's a when we ought to obey, there's a whom we ought to obey, and there's a how we ought to obey. I'm experimenting, by the way, with some new slides. Hopefully that, that is thrilling to you, as it is to me. Uh, when ought we to obey? In all things, all the time. In everything that we, we do, in all things, we should obey. And what about when he tells me to do something that's nasty and wrong and I don't agree with it? Well, you honor, you do what you can to, to serve. If, if there's something that, is, that goes against God's uh, command, then you, you obey God rather than men. You, you do what is before him. But in terms of, he's asking me to get up at three in the morning to go do this. Well, you get up at three in the morning, you go do that. Obey at all times. Do it uh, to your earthly masters, those who are, uh, have, have been entrusted. You have been entrusted to their care, their management, their direction, their whatever. You do it to them as to the Lord. And he says, how ought we to do it? Verse 22 says, with integrity of heart, with integrity or simplicity or wholehearted devotion to the masters. Verse 22 speaks about all these wonderful aspects of this salvation or this, uh, this well, salvation as it affects our slavery, our enslavement to other people. But he says, in all things... In all things, you should be obeying your earthly masters. He says, not with eye service as trying to get their attention or doing things to uh, win the approval of men. No, you serve the Lord. You honor him with integrity of heart, fearing God, fearing the Lord himself, because he's the one that we ultimately have to do. Our work reflects his presence in our lives. We have, we're attached to the heavenly Lord. We're attached to Christ, and he, he makes a change in our lives. 
So he tells us all these things about obedience, again, the when, whom, and how. And then he gives us another command in verses 23 and 24. That command is to work. To work. And that is a very common word throughout the scriptures that we all have work to do. Work is not a result of the curse. Work precedes the curse. It's the, the confusion. It's the difficulties that we face in work, the, the, the um, uh, thorns and thistles that will grow as a result of this. And you have to, by the sweat of your brow, you have to work and do all these things. Well, work was not, not a, a curse. It was before God put Adam in the garden. God planted a garden. He says, Adam, you tend it. You do this thing. I mentioned last week, too, about, okay, maybe we, maybe we are free, more free than other people. But, you know, we're all, we all should consider ourselves slaves to Christ. We are Christ's slaves. We are Christ's servants. We do whatever he wants us to do. And if he entrusts us to the care of a wicked nation, then we do our best. I'm, I'm thinking of when God brought Israel or Judah out of the land and into Babylon, Babylon, they're a bunch of heathen, pagan, wicked, nasty, rude, violent. Yeah, how dare you, God? You're so holy and just, Habakkuk said. How would you entrust us to Babylon? He says, you're going to go to Babylon, and you pray for your situation. You live. You glorify God in that difficult situation. And, when, and after 70 years, I'll bring you out because of the wickedness that Judah had done. It's not like Babylon was the only nasty country on the face of the earth. Um, you read Jeremiah, you read Ezekiel, bad stuff going on in Judah at that time. But God is very gracious to allow us to be his citizens, have citizens of a heavenly kingdom in earthly uh, citizenship. He says that we here, we ought to work. We ought to do our work. He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily. So we have work to do, whether you're a slave, you know, to whatever degree you are a slave or, or not, even children. Uh, and the proverb that says, uh, even children are known by his actions, whether his conduct is pure, as right, pure and right, whether his conduct, his work, the way that he conducts his life or her life is a way that brings glory to God. And so we want to labor. We want to work uh, for him. We want to be careful to uh, do whatever he's entrusted to us to do. And that even gets to the point of laboring. I mean, another idea of labor or work, rather, is labor. There's another word that Paul uses back in verse 29 of chapter 1, where he says, For this reason I also labor, striving according to his power that mightily works within me. That word labor is the word by the sweat of your brow, brow toilsome, just hard, you know, pounding uh, rocks or whatever. Just we labor at this. We, we strive. Here, the, the word work is more general. It just has anything to do with business or productivity or um, just doing stuff. Do you know, and we have to make this distinction always, good works are never the ground of our salvation. We're not justified by our good works, what we have done or what we haven't done. We're justified by Christ's good work. We'll always look to his good work, which, by the way, is not an ongoing work that somehow he hasn't finished, but he's, he's doing a good job. I think he'll finish well. No, he did finish it. His work is done. And when we find our identity in Christ, we are accepted. We are received through his merit, not our own. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 make that big point. It's not by works you've been saved, but through grace. But then verse 10 if you memorize verse 10, you should. That is to say, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto faith, great grace, no, unto good works, which he prepared before and that we should walk in them. In other words, we do good works not as a basis of our salvation, but as a result or a fruit of our salvation. 
Here he says, you get out there and work. You do your stuff. You do your good works. So much of that emphasis here in, in um, Colossians even talks about good works back in verse 10 of chapter 1, bearing fruit in every good work, not just the, the spiritual ones, everything you do, how you shovel the snow off your sidewalk. We don't have snow so much, but how you mow your grass, how you uh, decorate your home, how you decorate yourself, what kind of work are you doing? How do you file that email into the proper location? Or how do you manage this? Or how do you direct this customer? How, how do we work? Can we bear fruit in every good work? We need to recognize that used to be, outside of Christ, our works were evil, not commending us to God, rather receiving the condemnation of God. Colossians 1 verse 29 says, or excuse me, Colossians 2, well, no, Colossians 1 verse 21, there it is. You were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds, evil works, bad things that we did. We were alienated from God, but now we've been brought near and now we can honor him. We see so much about the working of God. We see that we ought to work heartily, that we are workers. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 11 talks about fellow workers for the kingdom of God. So much, and you have to trace this on your own, but at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, I think, if I counted correctly. Well, there's twice in one verse, so 8. I don't know how many different times that word work appears in Titus. Titus, Paul's letter to this uh, dear brother emphasizes the works. In fact, one verse he says, um, those who have believed God will be intent or diligent to lead in good works. This is what we ought to do. We ought to learn to lead in good works to meet pressing needs so that we'll not be unfruitful. So working is a very important part. We can't just sit on our on our backsides and say, well, Christ did it all. Christ paid the thing and I, it's all good. No, get out there and do something about it. Work in your, your business context, in your personal context, whatever. Get out there and work. And he says, I need to catch up with my Notes here, he says, whatever you do, do your work heartily. When should we work? Whenever, whatever. Uh, he gives no restrictions on it. Whatever you do, whatever you're active in, whatever God has entrusted to you, that word do here is the same word back from Ephesians 2 and verse 10. Um, well, it's the same root, verb versus noun, but it's that word of uh, workmanship, workmanship. Uh, from what we get our English word poem or something that we have written down. That's, and he says, you get out there and do that work. Whatever you're doing, whatever your situation is, you do your work heartily. Is that what your translation says? Heartily is this idea. And he says, uh, even from your soul is the idea. Not just by way of eye service, not by uh, pleasing men externally, but it's an internal aspect with a simplicity or devotion of heart, he said back in verse 22. But here he says, you do it heartily as from the soul. It is an attitude, it is a mindset, it is a, a way of approaching life. We do this, we're doing work, not externally, not to, to you know check the boxes and, and look like we're working, which you've seen some different, uh, on, in the age of online virtual um, uh, business meetings and so forth, you see all kind of ways that people can slough off and appear like they're working and they're really not. You're not like that. You are intent on laboring, doing the best job that you can in that situation. Other translations talk about doing it gladly, doing it with enthusiasm, doing it with all your heart. You do it not externally as if you're trying to uh, uh, just impress other people or get their attention. You do it because you love this thing, which you need to ask this question. Do you have to love the work you're doing? It'd be nice, kind of as a benefit, but what if you don't love the work you're doing? One guy said it this way, if you love what you're doing, then you'll never work a day in your life. Well, 
the, the problem with that is we still live in this fallen world. And even if you love what you're doing, there might be some days that are rather disappointing and distressing and, and just work, doesn't work out all that way. But if you, if you love the idea, I'm not just working for this result, you know, a, a mowed lawn or a, a plumbing fixture that fits together without dripping the first time, which never happens to me, uh, or whatever it is, you do your very best job and entrust the results to God. That's what we do with everything, isn't it? We, we do our best as a, as a wife to a husband, as a husband to a, a wife, parents, children. We do our best, but I've got to leave the results to God. I can't change anybody. I can't really ultimately affect anything good in this world, only what Christ is doing in and through me. And the, the benefit is, hey, Christ is doing in and through me. And so I, I rejoice even in that process. Not so much the end result, because the end result may or may not come, but in the process of working, whatever I do, I do it heartily. I do it as to the Lord, it says, not to men. The contrast is very strong here. You do it as to the Lord, not to men. We do it for not our earthly master, but our heavenly master. We are treated as the slaves of Christ, and so we ought to live in that way. How? I mean, again, we go back to the, the parent-child issue. My kid needs me at 3 in the morning or 2 in the morning or 3 in the afternoon. You know, I just did everything for him. Now he needs me again. You think, I am a slave of Christ. I'm going to do my work heartily as in the Lord. My master is this little three-year-old or two-year-old or, or whatever, and, and, you know, not don't press that analogy too far, but the point is, I'm asked to do something I don't want to do. I'm in the middle of this book, or I'm doing this project over here, and we're called to work, to labor, even to think of other people as more important than ourselves, realizing as we do these things, we're serving Christ. We're pleasing Him. He's looking. The other people may or may not have any attention that they told you get get to the work and then they go off doing their drinking their coffee or kicking their heels up or whatever they're doing over there. And we're left with this mess and we're supposed to work. We thank God here. We're here. We are able to bring order out of chaos. We're able to bring God's presence, God's uh, attention to this issue. Thank God he put me here for this time. I serve the Lord, not serving for the praise of men, not by way of eye service, not as a man pleaser, but serving the Lord. He says that we ought to have that very distinct mind. I guess not to say, well, I'm going to obey Christ. He told me to take the day off. Where did he say that to you again? Maybe the Sabbath, you can argue that, whatever. But uh, if your master asked you to do something, you get out there and do it. Maybe the master is asking too much. Well, that's a different conversation. But from you, from your perspective, you're always doing work as to the Lord. You're doing it not for earthly benefit. In fact, that is, that's what he says here. Why should we work? Why should we be so diligent in our labor? Because there is a reward anticipated for those who serve Christ. Verse 20, 24 says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Whoa. So who's giving out these rewards? It's our earthly master. Not always. You don't always get the, the pat on the back, the, the bonus at the end of the year, the, the promotion, the whatever kind of earthly benefit that are kind of nice to get sometimes. But even if you never got that, even if you are a slave to your death, first century Roman world, there is a reward that the Lord, the heavenly Lord, gives. He says, we know that this is so. Many times in Paul's writings, he uses that little phrase, knowing that. And usually it's a, it's a confirmation or a basis for some action. 
you know this is true and therefore you ought to act this way. You know this is, this is the way, so what do you do in acting like it's not the way? Like somehow you're going to be slighted, that God pays no attention. Remember the issue when the disciples asked Jesus, you know, we've left houses, excuse me, we've left our families for you and what are we going to get out of this? And Paul, excuse me, Jesus said, don't you worry, you will receive in this life and the next houses and lands and people and family and all this kind of stuff. Don't worry about it. I will reward. We know that this is so. We have a confidence. We can trust God's word. He promised it. So he says, knowing that from the Lord who never lies, never changes, never says, somehow I changed my mind. Things are different. Do you remember the one time there was a change in, in wage? Actually, it wasn't really a change in wage. It was a change in expectation. Jesus talked about the, the master who went out to hire people for the day to work in his vineyard. And he says, I'll give you a denarius for a day's wage. You remember that story that Jesus told? And they went out and worked. And then he kept on going out to get more workers and found out you know, people that were hired at the fifth hour, you know, hour, just an hour of work yet to do. And so the people, they were hired first thought, oh, when, when the master gives out the rewards, he'll pay us extra because, because, you know, we worked all, we bore the whole heat and, and burden of the day. Well, he started paying the latecomers first and they got a whole denarius. And then the and they thought, well, we'll get more. And they got a denarius. Well, and the master said, didn't we agree that you'd work for a denarius? We did. Hmm. Yeah, we did. And then he says, well, why are you so angry about my generosity? Is your eye greedy? We agreed for this. I fulfilled my obligation to you. Are you offended that I gave them the same that I gave you? Don't be like that. God fulfills his promises. He fulfills his rewards. Is it always in this world? Is it always temporal? Not always. Not always. You want to read Hebrews 11? They looked for something better. They didn't all get what God promised. But they were trusting him, and they found refuge in God's own word trusting that God does provide. This is from the Lord. It's not from man. It is from the Lord. He is a generous God. Remember when David committed that sin at the end of uh, 2 Samuel, and he puts a number on the, on the children of Israel and found out how strong their military was, and God did not like that at all. And God said through the prophet, I'll give you three choices of the punishment that you'll receive. And one of them had to do with God's uh, pestilence that came from God and another two other had to do with man taking vengeance upon uh, David and, and uh, Israel and David's reply was let me fall into the hands of God because he is gracious and compassionate don't let me fall in the hands of men because they are wicked they will tear me to pieces but God in his punishment he will remember mercy and God did you read that story in the uh, second Samuel God is a gracious uh, generous God he gives rewards do we deserve it did we always do our work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men? I hope so, but I know that we don't. I know that we don't. We, we fall short. We continue to, to complain and grumble and find fault with, with our master or the coworkers or, or the customers that we're serving or this situation, this wrench is whatever. And we get all, we serve the Lord. We trust him. I'm going to do my work heartily as from the, the soul, the heart, and I will do what I can for his sake knowing, verse 24 says, that we will, re we will receive the reward of the inheritance. The reward, oftentimes we think inheritance being something you get when somebody else dies, which is true. That's, that's one way to view it. View it. Uh, Galatians, Paul in Galatians makes a big point of that. But also an inheritance can be just a gift, a, a boon, a benefit from, from somebody that, that wants to give that to you. Here is, is that idea, that, that inheritance, that gift that is given a generous gift, a wealth, wealth, um, 
It's a, it's a desirable gift, a valuable gift that is given. And that inheritance we can read about back in chapter 1, that we have been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That uh, is spoken of back in verse, what is it, 20, or verse 12 of chapter 1, the inheritance of the saints in light that is given to us. We are so grateful to receive that. It's, it's God's giving a reward that is given almost in a... In a there's a way that this word is translated, an exact requital or something that is, is paid back to us. Maybe like Medicare, only it actually works, where you, you pay into something. And it's kind of like what Paul says in First Timothy 6. You lay up treasures for yourself in heaven through your work, especially the rich people. You use your money to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Don't lay up treasures on earth because... As my father-in-law would say, it's harder and harder to lay up treasures on earth. You, inflation, taxes, yeah, it's, that's not good. But the treasure we send on ahead into heaven, that is the treasure that lasts into eternity. God gives an exact requital. He gives something that is appropriate to what we have deposited or, or uh, put into this, this labor, which kind of ought to give us pause, I suppose, and say, what am I actually doing here? What am I doing? Am I laboring from the heart uh, heartily? Am I serving the Lord rather than, than man? I am serving Christ, and from Christ I will receive that reward. He says here at the end of verse 24 that we ought to serve. Now, your translation perhaps has it in a statement form, you serve the Lord Christ. Maybe your translation says, puts it in a command form, you serve, like, hey, serve the Lord Christ for a change. So the idea is, I think, I think it's an imperative, I'll go with that, because it gives the, the, this threefold structure of obey, uh, work, and serve that is presented in these verses to slaves. He says, we serve Christ, which is a benefit. Wait a minute, I'm serving this earthly master over here. You're serving Christ. Maybe through that earthly master, maybe through that believing master, could be an unbelieving master, but you serve Christ. He is your master. He will repay both for good, back in, verse, in this 24. He's going to say there's a, another reason why you ought to work, why you ought to serve, why you ought to meet others' needs, why you ought to even obey other people, your master, is because there is impartial judgment. We think, oh, God is going to be so gracious, and even though I only put this much effort into this I'll put it in the context of a student. Even though I put only this much effort, I know my professor, he grades on a curve, and, and he'll be, he's always generous. What if he's not? What if he judges you based on the effort that you actually put into it? Did you follow the, the, the instructions on this assignment? Did you do all the formatting requirements? Did you address the issue? Did you, did you fulfill the, the work? Well, no, but he'll do fine. No, God judges impartially. All those rewards we look forward to, Will we be sorely disappointed in what kind of, again, using that deposit, the sending treasures on ahead into heaven? Will, be, will we be disappointed in what we find? Oh, is that all I, I send on ahead through my labor, the use of my unrighteous mammon, as Jesus says back in the Gospels? Wow, I wish I'd known that. I wish I had known that my future rewards and even the restrictions or the, the, the paucity, you know that word, word uh, the, the littleness of, of my reward is based on my labor right now. Oh, I wish I knew that. Hey, y'all just heard it. So you know it now. You make sure that you are laying up treasures in heaven because God does not judge based on eye visuality like in the uh, first Samuel, when when uh, the prophet is go Samuel is going after to find David, the next king after Saul, and he says, "Don't you be judging? Excuse me, don't judge based on uh, appearances. 
was Eliab and all these other guys who were big and strong. Hey, there's David, this little short little ruddy guy, the youngest of his family. He's the one that I have chosen. I don't look on, I don't judge based on outward appearance. I judge on the heart, the soul, what's inside. And David had a heart after God. This idea that God judges without partiality, without judging based on face, oh, that's, that's so-and-so, I'll let him in, it's okay. God judges based on his justice, based on his analysis, not of what we look like on the outside, but who we are on the inside. Do you know, going back to the idea of work, do you remember back in Matthew 7, when many will come in that day saying to me, Lord, Lord, Master, Master, You've done all this stuff in your name. And he says, get away from me, you workers of iniquity or workers of unrighteousness. I never knew you. But wait, we were doing all these good works in your name. Doesn't matter. You were not doing it as unto me. You're doing it for the praise of men. Guess what you got in your life? The praise of men. They applauded you. They clapped for you. They gave you their gifts. They poured out their, their treasuries upon you. Did not impress God the least, in the least. He knows your heart. And that ought to frighten us, but also gives us comfort. God, you know, I was trying to do this. I didn't have the success in my life that I wanted. I didn't have this, then the other thing as other people had, even Christian people. And yet I knew, I know I'm serving with my whole heart for you. I'm serving you. I may serve these other people and my clients and customers, but I'm serving the Lord. And I, I trust you that you will reward me according to what I have earned. Again, not based on our... It's not salvation that we're talking about, forgiveness of sins and, and life with God in eternity, but it's the rewards that are after, that we are after. First uh, Corinthians 5, 9 and 10 talk about we have as our ambition to be pleasing to the Lord because we know we'll all stand before him, not for, for sin to deal with, but for rewards, the crown of righteousness he talks about in 2 Timothy 4 and, and some other places, the rewards that God lavishes upon those who uh, he is pleased with. He's pleased with his son. Remember how he said, uh, listen, you know, this is my beloved son. Listen to him in whom I'm well pleased to listen to him. Here he says, verse uh, 25, he who does wrong, we serve Christ, we serve the Lord Christ because he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. That is kind of an, an enlargement upon the very tight language he, he writes with. He says, basically, uh, for the one who does wrong will receive the wrong he's done. Wait a minute. If I've done wrong, have acted unjustly, if I've stolen, you read uh, Titus 2. Paul also has a, a message to slaves in Titus 2. And he says, don't pilfer, don't steal, don't take a little bit of morsel over here. Or, or maybe the master uh, uh, left a little bit of uh, clothing item over here. And I, he doesn't need it. She doesn't need it. Anymore. I'm just going to take it. She's going to throw it down anyway, give it to the poor down the street. I'm poor. I'm impoverished. I'll just take it. Don't pilfer receive if the master wants to give but don't you steal from them don't steal time from them don't act like you're working and then their eyes off you and you go off and read your book or, or scroll through instagram or whatever you're doing you work when it's time to work don't act unjustly to, toward your master because whatever unjustly unjust work you've done then you'll be paid back that you'll receive back from the lord who knows who knows, he says here, uh, he has done this without partiality. Uh, he does that without looking at people's faces or saying, oh, that's so-and-so. That's well, we never would have expected that misbehavior from so-and-so. God knows who we are. He knows that we're a mess. He knows that we need a Savior every day. He looks at us and says, 
they need to be more like my son Jesus. They need to be more like him. And he is active and so patient and, and persevering to make us more like Christ. We will receive to ourselves what even a compensation. We think, well, I've done 40 hours a week. I had to get paid for 40 hours. You'll get paid for 40 hours but from your earthly master. But if you were paid by from God based on your heart level labor for Christ, how much would you be paid? How, how, how much would you... Uh, expect to receive back from the Lord in that regard. You work heartily as to the Lord, not to men. You look not just for a, a temporal reward. It's nice uh, to, to earn our, our keep. It's, it's nice, and, and that's very minimal saying. It is ex, uh, intended, uh, expected, that's the word I was thinking of, that we should provide for our family. First Timothy 5 says, if a man does not provide for his, ha his household, he's worse than an infidel. Not to say that, well, he's not providing enough, we need more. There's a point at which we are content. First Timothy 5, 6 also talks about that. Uh, we don't, you know, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Many have been pierced with many a pangs of going pursuing after that. But you be content with godliness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Can we always use a little bit more? Sure, everybody can use a little bit more. But can you be satisfied with what you have? Wow, so much is, is spoken here. But this I, last idea, that he does these things without partiality, without looking at the face, without judging based on you know, the, this eye service or based on, you know, th th that's so-and-so. And so, and so we, we need to give a special you know, uh, leeway to this person. We need to uh, be a respecter of persons we could, we could uh, um, speak of in, in different contexts. You know, partiality is wickedness. There are so many times in Scripture that we uh, are commanded not to, to show partiality. So many times in Scripture we realize that God himself is impartial. Uh, Romans 2 and verse 11 says, There is no partiality with God. It's repeated in Ephesians 6, 9 in the context Paul is speaking of there to slaves. There is no partiality with him. There is no favoritism. You think of Jacob and his 12 sons, and some were favored. Well, one was favored. You know, Joseph was favored, and all the other ones kind of are. You never can do that right thing, can't you, Reuben, or Levi, or Judah, or these other guys? Can't you be like your little brother once in a while? My favorite. Come over here, Joseph. Let me just see. Let me hear your erudite wisdom. And let me just, no, don't have a favorite. Don't be like that. We should have this impartiality, not uh, showing uh, favoritism or uh, any kind of particular attention to, uh, to other people, realizing that that's how God is going to pay us back. Whatever we do, he's not impressed with, with uh, as Ken would say, stuff and fluff. Uh, the, just the appearance of activity and, and the fervor of we're all these moving plates. And what are you accomplishing? What are you doing? What are you doing? God judges impartially. He is not a respecter of persons. He is the one who gives generously. And yet, here, it's tied to our work. Not as a basis of our salvation, but as a fruit of it. Get out there and obey, work, and serve. Who are we serving? Christ. Christ. He will repay, he will reward, and he will judge even. Wow. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for work. We're grateful that you are, are have entrusted to us things to do in this world. We, we're not just, uh, I mean, every animal around the world has stuff to do. They're doing things, and we're not animals. We are made in your image. We are humans, created for 
works that you prepared before and that we should walk in them. We pray that we would not view these works just as a spiritual things or, or you know, going to church and reading, the, and reading the book, the Bible, and praying and sharing the gospel. Those are good works. We ought to do these things. But how do we do the mundane aspects of life? How do we speak? How do we obey orders? How do we fulfill orders? How do we do the different things, the different works that we have? I was looking at the congregation. There are a lot of different jobs that we have. Help us to do what is right. Help us to do this labor as unto you. Recognize that you do reward, but you also justly give those who do evil, those who do unjustly. You are a just God. We thank you for your grace. We know that we just are have a mess waiting to happen, and already, sometimes it already has happened. But we are grateful that you are a saving, saving, saving God, a sanctifying God, making us more like Christ. Please help us to be willing participants in it. Please help us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.